welcome, ladies and gentlemen, live from Boise, Idaho, the Donnybrook Podcast. <laughs> That's hard to yeah. Woo! <laughs> All Is there right. Be like uh, some kind of music behind that? That's like. Big band or something like that. Oh, you seriously? Know it? Yeah. <laughs> what? We have a live orchestra behind us. I'm your host, David. This is Amanda. This is John. And I am really, really excited. Today we have a very special guest on the podcast. Uh, Tom Velasco is a 12th grade teacher at the Ambrose School in Boise, Idaho. He is an elder at Calvary Chapel, Boise. He has studied uh, philosophy in college. He's a former uh, Boise State. Uh, Pac-10 wrestler. Back when Boise State was part of the Pac-10. Yep. And had a wrestling program. And actually were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He drives a 2008 Honda Accord. (laughs) This is true. And he once watched 407 movies in a single year. And and all of that, I think, is underselling the fact that, Tom, if, if we had a Dos Equis commercial for... The Treasure Valley, he would be the Valley's most interesting man. With <laughs> yes. the exception of his car choice. I think the car choice completely. <laughs> and of, which was and not, of course, the fact that he doesn't drink beer. Oh, really? Not only do I not drink beer, I hate beer. Right. You hate beer. Yeah, it's, it's not really. Does it sit well with you or? Uh, I just hate the taste of it. Okay, okay. Like, And so I, I will actually occasionally drink a beer with friends when I feel the social pressures coming on for uh-huh, whatever uh-huh, reason. Uh-huh. And I don't know why, because actually I don't really feel that strong of a... I actually cannot explain why it is that I might occasionally drink a beer. Because uh, I don't actually feel any real social pressure. It's just sometimes when I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'll just Fine. have a beer. But I actually hate the taste of it. Like, I, I find it foul. So you and David probably share two things then. Yeah. Um, and you guys are are not as well acquainted. Um, and, and that is your love of movies... And, and the, your hatred of, of beer. Well, yes. and it actually would go further than that. It's the, uh, Tom once described it as the taste buds of a 12-year-old girl. Yes, I do have the, I, I say seven-year-old girl. Oh, sorry, say, seven-year-old girl. I describe girl. myself as having the taste buds of a seven-year-old, actually I say the palate of a seven-year-old girl. Okay, and, and once about. upon okay. a time, David <laughs> tried to make a list of 100 foods that he liked, and he had to include all the different ways to prepare potatoes in order to get to 100. And let's well, say literally all of them. <laughs> well, Amanda asked me, I think you were there, right? It was, you were one of the ones, weren't you? You and Joe, I thought it was you two, asked me how often I cook. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. And we were stunned. And what, I twice said, a year? Two or three times last year. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> oh, either. my goodness. I remember cooking two or three times, unless you count. Macaroni and cheese, craft no. from the box, blue box. Yeah. And uh, cold cereal doesn't count. No, not cold cereal. And no. uh, or not, uh, the other one was, oh, shoot, uh, Top Ramen. So oh unless you count those two things, I cooked two, two or three times last year. Um, I, I And so uh, basically. Yeah, you're not helping your Treasure no. Valley's most interesting I man. To- I eat Taco all. Bell. I, I bet you I eat Taco Bell about 100 times a year. So about a third of my <laughs> a third of your days. Well, that could make life interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I am not what you would call a foodie. Well, and, and you and I've known each other since college because I was coming in when you were on your way out. And we were both involved with crew. Yeah, and it was like a, we yep. shared like a semester together. Yep, and everybody was like, "Tom's awesome," and I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be great to get to know you." And then you were gone. <laughs> and, and I feel like we've kind of missed each other like that. Kind of, we both lived in this valley, and then I'll, I'll meet people, and they're like, "You like weird stuff." Like, do you know Tom Velasco? <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, kind of, sort of, kind of." And and but that's because should. literally everyone knows Tom Velasco. This is true. Not right. everybody knows me. Oh, well, no. I, I tell people where I work, and they're like, "Oh, you work with Tom Velasco." <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's all too flattering. <laughs> So your so your so your Facebook friends group must be uh, as big as your movie watching list. It's a decent sized group. I don't know the number. It's a it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But, okay. So so I, I have I, friends I, with more. Like I have friends who have friend groups that are larger. Sure. On Facebook sure. For whatever that's worth. Sure. Yeah. But but that's because you're high school teachers and <laughs> that's that, true. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So I so if you've watched four hundred, what was the number four hundred? There was one year in which I watched four hundred and seven movies. The truth is, I always watch over three hundred fifty six. Always. So I watch <laughs> always watch more than a movie a day. Okay. So so if that's the case, are the are there is there a movie that everybody should watch 
that is off the beaten path a little bit. That's not your standard stereotypical, like everybody's already seen it 15 times or was required yes. to watch it in college or high school. There are or... tons of those. Well, I well, give me, give me but the give me one something. that first comes to mind is a movie called Ordette. Okay. I'm writing Ooh, this down. I've Especially if this. you are a Christian, because I think every Christian should watch the movie Ordette. Ordette is one of the great is movies. Is that one word or two words? One word. O-R-D-E-T. Ordette. Uh, it is Danish, so you got to go in for the subtitles, and you got to be okay with black and white. Um, it is and really tall people. Uh, yes, there are some very tall people <laughs> and in slightly the movie. pale people, and sli- there are some slightly <laughs> pale people in okay. that film. Yes, um, it's made by a guy named Carl Theodore Dreyer, who was one of the great filmmakers of all time. Uh, he also made another movie, which. The- Carl Theodore Dreyer has two movies in my top 30 list oh, okay. of all time. Ordet is in my top six. And uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc is actually in my top 20. And that's another one of his I films. have heard really good things about that. Oh, that's the old fantastic. one, right? Fantastic, yeah. It's yeah. a silent film, Passion uh-huh. of- The Passion uh-huh. of Joan of Arc. And those are both on the sight and sound list, top two, top 250 movies of all time. Actually, they both are in the top 20. Uh, both Ordet and The Passion of Joan of Arc are... I think in the top 20 or top 30. Mm-hmm. Joan of Arc is top 10. Yeah, you got to be careful what you state because I'll go back and find it. Last week, oh, uh, I one know. of the members yeah. of our podcast suggested that classical music was the highest grossing sales. Uh, I did not say highest grossing sales. Me. I said most listened to <laughs> I, genre. I, okay, well, she, she, she imp- indicated that it was fairly popular. To which I went back and did it a little research. It is fairly research. popular. Yeah, 1.7% of Americans listened <laughs> in 2018. But continue. Uh, <laughs> so be careful so, what you say. John will, John so, will definitely now, uh, so I do, get receipts. I can guarantee that on Sight & Sound's Top 250, which for people who don't know what Sight & Sound is, it is a British journal which every 12 years makes a new list of the best films of all time as determined by film critics and movie directors. And people look at it as the definitive list of the greatest movies of all time. Mm -hmm. They do it every 12 years. It's the Torah. It's the Torah of film film lovers. The last time it came out was 2012. Okay. And in the 2012 list, top 250, Passion of Joan of Arc was definitely top 20, and I'm pretty sure top 10. And Ordette was de- uh, was definitely top 50, and I'm pretty sure top 30. But okay. Ordette, for me, is it's the most remarkable, one of the most remarkable movies I've ever seen. And if you are a thinking Christian and you like film, watch it. The, the, um, tagline for the film was so this is not in the title, this is just kind of like, as they were teaching or kind of as they were promoting it was we believe in the uh, uh, we believe in the dead, not the living Christ, not like in a positive way. It's like a critique of. Oh, interesting. Uh, and and that really comes out in the theme of like, the resurrection. Yes. And it is a it's a it's a beautiful. The ending is like nothing I've ever seen. You just watch it and you were like, what in the world am I taking in right now? It is, okay. I think it's one of the greatest works of art I've ever beheld. So okay. yes, Ordet. So, I'm sold. Yeah, that's, David, that's got Carl me Theodore really Dreyer. interesting. Now, by the way, you've got to be able to sit through some stuff that might be tough. Like, it's like if people with not great attention spans are out there listening, like, you got to enjoy Danish. Dude. Or you got to be able to live through Danish subtitles. Anybody who's listened to this podcast <laughs> multiple times will have no trouble. Yeah. <laughs> we have bored them far more than... So, so two of these movies that you've mentioned are old black and white movies. Yes. Do you would you say you spend a lot of time with older movies, or, or like what, where do you spend your most time? What genres do you really enjoy of of movie? So, I, I wouldn't say that there's one particular genre that I focus on that I spend a ton of time on, uh, and it's really hard to identify what is a, jo- a genre that I love because it's more like I get into genres for periods. Like right now I'm into Westerns. Ah. So my big thing lately has been okay. Westerns. Okay. So give and, us your best, best Western. Oh, that's easy. Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Made hey, by I've uh, Howard Hawks. Yep. Made by Howard Hawks. Best Western ever made. Um, yeah. I can't get over. I, I can't say enough about that. Okay. About that movie. Now I will say Stagecoach is a close second. Stagecoach by John, Stagecoach by John Ford. Boom. Yes. <laughs> Those are top. Love Stagecoach. Stagecoach is yeah. unreal. Yeah. They, I mean, the I first. John Wayne was actually a decent actor. Yes. Sorry. Which for me, John Wayne was always a I, fantastic. I, he's just the same actor, but I feel like in that particular <laughs> film, he's 
you know, more accessible than it's, others. It's funny without, with the exception of Daniel Day Lewis, every actor is just playing himself. It seems. I mean, there might be a couple of others. No, Daniel Day Lewis is great. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is genuinely like, wow, I did not know that was Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, you think about it. John Wayne just plays himself. Jack Nicholson just plays himself. Paul Newman just plays himself. But uh, we really and, enjoy watching John Wayne. Brad Pitt. Yeah, you just Tom, enjoy Wayne. Brad Pitt. Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Just, That's fair. I, I think the big thing that draws us to actors is charisma and charm. There's something about them. We love them. Mm-hmm. And I think the really great actor, what we call the great actors, are not, as we think, people with range. Mm-hmm. They're people with charisma. And I, I think that's what draws us to them. Now, when I see range, I'm impressed. Sure. But I don't know that I'm always drawn to those guys. Like, like I love Daniel Day-Lewis. He, if people, he's kind of my go-to. If you were to say, who do you think is the best actor ever? I say Daniel Day-Lewis. Sure. But when I'm sitting, when I'm at home and I'm like, oh man, I really could watch a film. I'm not looking for the Daniel Day-Lewis flick to throw <laughs> on the television. I'd really like to see <laughs> Abraham Lincoln done yeah. by Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, give me Paul Newman any day of the week. And right. with Paul Newman, you're getting Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That I totally, I totally see that. So, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just I'm loving this movie conversation. Like, like <laughs> we can go all the, night. What is the latest movie that you saw? Oh, I you know so in uh, the the last film I watched was called Logan's Run, yeah. which I just watched just a couple of days ago. That came it's got on James the, Bond in it, doesn't it? Uh, uh, no, <laughs> Logan's Run is a, it's a 1980s sci-fi romp, which, totally. and it's pretty, oh. it's, it's insanely cheesy, but it is very existentialist, right? Uh-huh. And actually as all sci-fi fiction, well, I was about to say sci-fi fiction, which yeah, that'd be saying science fiction, fiction fiction, yeah, 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 yeah. All, all, all science fiction is uh, f- philosophical and, right. and this is very much existentialist it's essentially about a so it's a it's dystopian i don't have you guys seen logan's run no no it, I've, I've heard of it yeah. it's is not it, fantastic is it based on a the novel oh, yes oh, okay. there's a novel that that who's it, the author it's in the 70s I right recall. i'm pretty okay. sure it's came yeah. out in the 70s right i thought it was you mean the book or the movie uh i don't know the, the i thought movie. the movie was this was the 80s but let me check because i got it right here Incidentally, uh, the reason... Oh, it is 76. Okay. The reason I know how many movies I watch in a year is because I'm a part of a film social networking site, which logs every movie I see. And so I've logged... Oh, yeah. We have just lost David for the next year. (laughs) Right. This is awesome. And as Tom is fond of saying, his, his film social networking site is so, so, so much better than Goodreads. Oh, it's... It's... In fact... When when the social net when when Letterboxd first came into being, there was a big movement amongst the people to say we don't want word to get out. We want this to be a by by invitation thing because we do not want to turn into Goodreads. And to this day, you'll see people posting saying we are not the Goodreads of, of film. film, right? right. Uh, yeah, we don't want to you you people who don't know anything about film join IMDb. Yes, that's kind of the idea right, behind right. it. When Goodreads ends up with really high reviews on Twilight, you're it, like, uh. yeah, yeah. Twilight is definitely rated, or I don't know. Was if Twilight it's is. changed? Brothers K is now better rated. Okay, because Brothers Twilight. K was below yeah, Twilight, Twilight, which yeah. is right there. You just go well, right, I, I don't but the the Twilight, Twilight backlash happened, yes. and now it's down below. I think it's below four stars, which okay. is and Brothers so K is like four point three until or Twilight 7. gets below two stars. <laughs> right, I won't trust anything. I won't trust anything. <laughs> yeah, could yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, to be honest, Letterboxd is going that way. More people are sure, finding out sure, about it, gonna, so yeah. you do get a lot more of that. But yeah, so I just looked on my Letterboxd account to find out that 1976, that's when yeah. Logan's Run came out. There you go. So Logan's Run is a dystopian film uh, about a future, basically, it's some kind of a post-apocalyptic, we don't know what the apocalypse was, right. where this new society has been created, and it's a very small society, where everything is harmonious and peaceful, mm-hmm. and life is easy for everyone, but everybody dies, I think at the age of 30? 21. Ah, 21 I'm reading, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's written by William 
F. Nolan is in, the author. In the book, in and, the movie, it's they make it to 30. For oh, okay. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, because they're I think they didn't want to have a bunch of 17-year-old actors or something. Uh, in the <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis was 17 at the yeah, time. I, I, <laughs> I don't remember if they make it to 30 or like 35, but it's in the okay, 30s for yeah. sure. So you have this group of people who are called Sandmen, who their job is to catch runners. And runners are people who don't voluntarily die, basically. Mm-hmm. And so Logan's run is about a voluntarily Sandman. Voluntarily euthanize? Yeah, voluntarily okay. euthanized, exactly. Okay. Yep. So, uh, and Logan is the main character. He's a Sandman who has actually been given the task of going out of the city to go find a, uh, like a, a haven for these escaped runners is what they uh-huh. call them. And so to do that, he has to pretend that he's a runner. Uh, but of course, the whole process, he goes out and falls re- in love and he falls in love with a girl who also is a runner. And basically they go out and, 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 um, it ends up being one very much a rejection of any notion of heaven, right? That's okay. They, there's a there's a moment when it becomes really clear that they are rejecting any kind of religious account of the world, uh-huh. and and that this is in a sense a metaphor for that. Uh, so it's like him leaving the city. It's the idea is there's something out there that's better uh-huh. than what's going on here, mm-hmm. and the answer is no. So, of course, what does he do? He comes back to tell everybody, so what do we need to do? We need to break our own chains. And we need to right. enjoy the freedom of this world here. Very existential. Right, right, We right, need right. to be real and authentic, and we right. need to define our own future. So it was, it was you know, it's pretty obvious what it was doing. Not a great movie. Not Gotcha. But yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it is what it is. But you asked. And yeah. 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 You asked. So, so you said um, science fiction. And it just jogged my memory. This after this this weekend, I was at a uh, a used bookstore in Oregon. Not not, not the not used the is the yeah. I saw that text. At Oregon. Is the bookstore pals. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. But um, I I ran into this book by C.S. Lewis that I have never seen before. Wait, what is this book that you've never seen before? And this I I C.S. Lewis with this title, and I thought. What in the world? And then I and I got all excited about this, and then I saw what it was, and I thought, "This is great. I'm gonna catch Amanda. She's not gonna know this." And then I thought about it for a minute, and I said, "Of course, she's gonna know this." Okay, what am I gonna know or not? This know? This book by C.S. Lewis is called "The Tortured Planet." It's an edited version See? of that hideous strength that was See? republished a few years I, later I can't win. for the American market. There's nothing you could ever. I also yeah. have a first printing of it at <laughs> home on nice. my shelf. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, Shame on you for trying. I know. Like, <laughs> I, by the way, would not have known that. I would have said, and I, I thought I owned every C.S. Lewis book with the exception of uh, a very large scholarly work that he did on Renaissance literature in the 16th century. Do you want to yeah. compare that? Uh, sure. Okay. I have it. <laughs> the, <laughs> very It'll good. look much more impressive to your high schoolers than my, on my show. He, he, I thought he I had called all that of them. the, never the Oh Hell book, the Oxford Handbook to English Literature. Um, his his book is um, English Letter in the 16th Century, Excluding yes. Drama. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he worked for like 10 years on that and he called it the Oh Hell book because <laughs> it was that hard to write it. So it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, If you care was... about 16th century literature well, I have all. another one of his books on, I think it was Poetry and Prose in the 16th Century. Uh-huh. Another mm-hmm. one of his big scholarly works. I just didn't have that one. Or maybe maybe I have that one and don't have Poetry and Prose in the 16th Century. Um, or maybe The Allegory of Love. Is I that have what you're The Allegory about? of okay. Love. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I did out. find out that there was a publication of a Lewis book that I didn't know about. And, What's that? Uh, so there is, uh, we've all read Letters to Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, I own it. I haven't okay. read it. And that's the way it's most books for me. Oh. Amanda owns them all and reads them. I own them all and don't read them. <laughs> right. so, what, so what you say, if somebody asks if you've read them all, you say, Amanda has. Some of them twice. Oh, that's a very good answer. Yeah. That, that is an excellent answer. my friend answer. Amanda has. That's what I said. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Have you read this? Amanda has. Um, I, I'm glad I'm holding up this end of things, I guess. Um, but yeah, there was a, a slender habits. hardcover version of selections from Letters to Malcolm that was published before the whole work was published. So mm. right after Lewis's death. So it's a, a 64 publication. Okay. Um, and I, I actually can't remember the title of it right now, but I found out that it was out there. And um, first editions are fairly inexpensive. So if you want like a, a $20 uh, C.S. Lewis first edition, that's... Uh, that'd be something to go for. Who is Malcolm? Um, an imaginary human being. Oh, so really? it's a it's a um, imaginary correspondence. 
Oh. He he's not actually yeah. So so it's the the he 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 took the letter writing right. genre and went with right. it to right. kind of kind of like a Did it- less imaginative wormwood screw tape. Yeah, it was one yeah, yeah, yeah. predate screw tape or was No, it- no, no, post. post. Um, so so yeah. I was reading about the troubled or the 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 tortured, the tortured planet. planet and I I was reading about it and I got some examples of of where it was um uh, where it had been altered yeah where yeah. he abridged it and it sounds like what he did is he just kind of edited his prose a bit yeah and kind of made it shorter and he kind of said in an interview i prefer the big long one but you know well whatever. that that hideous strength was a hard sell because he had written a, an explicitly sci-fi novel and then a less explicitly sci-fi novel, but at least it was set on a different planet. And then that hideous strength, which is not even remotely science fiction. There's there are scientists in it, but there's um, science has no um, a, uh, no influence on Do the you call plot. It a supernatural novel. Uh, well, fantasy? you you would call it yeah. It's I, kind I, of a I, dystopian fantasy, type. though. So, it's not. It, it doesn't have many of the elements of. Of science fiction, but it of course, is science fiction. One of my favorite books ever, though. Yeah. I have absolutely read that one, so and good. It is one of my favorite books. Ever. Um, so I've he thought twice. in terms of it. what's called speculative fiction, which includes both science fiction and fantasy. So a lot of times, if you see SF abbreviated, it doesn't mean sci-fi; it means speculative fiction. And so that hideous strength kind of fits in that. So it's longer than the other two books. It doesn't quite fit um, with them. It you know, Paralandra was kind of tenuous. Anyway, and then that hideous strength is just different enough that it was it was a hard sell for his publisher. So that's why he had to do the the edited down it's version. It's hard for me to imagine anything that Lewis is writing at that point in his career is a hard sell. Period. <laughs> so but. I I I found I was reading about this and I he I read these reviews for that hideous strength, and one of the people that wrote a review was Orson Welles, mm-hmm. and he wrote it about two years before he released 1984. And he complained. You mean, wait, Orson Welles, George Orwell? George Orwell. Uh, George Orwell. Yes. Yeah. Okay. George okay. Orwell. That makes yeah. a lot more sense. Well, that's Orson embarrassing. Let's, just, let's well, just pretend that didn't happen. Well, okay. it, it, there's a good connection there because, of course, Orson Welles famously did the radio broadcast right. of yeah. the War. George... Of, uh, not War of the World. That's what I was going for. From H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. Who yeah. was a significant <laughs> influence on Lewis, so it's yeah. all connected. So it all is connected. What a, what so, a fortuitous... Yeah. Was it Orwell or was it H.G. Wells that was... that? It was... So George Orwell before 1984. George Orwell. Was, before 1984. Yeah. yeah, before okay, 1984. Gotcha. And he was complaining. He said, you know... It's fine if he wants to write this and have and have these these Christian aspects. That's fine. That's his prerogative. But he felt like the supernatural ending at the end really took away from the the impact of what happened. He said this would have happened regardless. It kind of took away from the drama of of the end. Like like what did anything else matter if supernatural was just going to come in and win the day? But I think what's interesting is is how Lewis's work may have influenced 1984 well as, um, a, as a dystopian work um I don't know too much about that like I've never read anything about about the two of them uh, the influence going one way or the other but there are a lot of I mean the abolition of man I think really probably was a, an influence um on on Orwell mm-hmm. and and Lewis and, and Orwell have some really similar ideas about um, about the way language is used and manipulated. Orwell's, I think, um, much more clearly and completely articulated in some of his essays than than Lewis's. But um, Lewis, of course, has had really good grounding for for what he posits about the shifting of language. Can you find this review? I mean, is that is this oh yeah? Let me, let me uh, I'll, I'd love I'll to check we, it out. We should definitely link that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll link it up. Orwell writing on Lewis, man, that's actually got me really excited. Yeah, that's kind of right. a, one of those connections you don't expect. Well, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke um, corresponded with Lewis a little bit too. So I knew that. Yeah, uh, I don't remember why I knew that. There wasn't a book of letters between them, was there? No, not a whole book. Um, but they they corresponded a little bit about um, about uh, speculative fiction, and um, Lewis really liked Childhood's End. I might have so. a book about their correspondence. Is oh, there a book okay. on their correspondence? Not that I know of, but hmm. I, 
I could be. Wrong. I don't I'm, actually I, know all the books, even that's though true. that's my <laughs> reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think mentally, why, uh, David? I went straight to H.G. Wells when you said Orson Wells, because Wells and Wells and yep. and the uh, the the uh, uh, War of the Worlds rather than 1984, especially because for some reason, I, what is it? Maybe I'm. I mean, Lewis talks about Wells, right? He does. He, he references H.G. Wells. In Out of the Silent Planet. Yeah, okay. So that's where yeah. the connection was. I was like, Yeah, because Ransom is, um, you know, terrified of the Martians, right? Mm. And he talks about Wellsian horrors. Mm. Um, you know, some superhuman intelligence and superhuman cruelty or insect complexity of form or something. He, he talks about how, how horrifying all of those... Um, all those images are uh, in Out of the Silent Planet when he's afraid, and then again on Paralandra when he's fleeing, or, or when he's climbing up through the mountain, and that one the, those those giant insects appear, mm. and he he talks about how Wells um, had had peopled his imagination with horrors, um, and and so there, there's hmm. there are multiple references. It's been a long time since I've read those books. Long long time since I've read any Wells. Yeah, I read the Time yeah. Machine. I don't think I've read War of the Worlds. War of the War- Worlds is really interesting. I've seen the movies. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise said, Tom Cruise, do it for you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not at the time. But <laughs> a lot of people now say that that's one of Spielberg's best, though. And I'm kind of... Really? I kind of... It's, it's You know how you were talking about the Twilight Backlash? Yeah. Right. Um, movies also, of course, like books, have the opposite effect where people didn't like the movie all that much. Uh, and now it's getting kind of more of a... People are looking at it as one of his kind of top films, and I'm like, I think I want to go back and go back and it revisit it that. to see right. it because I went in with a we don't need another War of the Worlds review, yeah, right. and exactly it was right. definitely at the height of my Tom Cruise hating, not height, but in the no, midst no. of my yeah, Tom yeah, Cruise yeah, totally, I'm which right I lost by the way. I am back to loving Tom Cruise. Are you? Yes. So, so let me ask this question then: mm. uh, Do we need another Godzilla movie? Yes, we do need another. Oh, yes. that latest oh, Godzilla really movie was awesome. Yes, and this new one looks even better. It does. <laughs> it looks so good. It looks great. This uh, Godzilla King of Monsters movie. Oh looks yeah, fantastic. I, and I, I do not understand. The, you, what Tom. I do have to say is, hey, the man on this the, one. The previous. totally said that ironically, and you just ran with it. Have you <laughs> seen? <laughs> totally disappointed. Have you seen the preview where they show Godzilla light up the sky with? I think it's Claire de Lune playing in the background. Oh. It is absolutely breathtaking watching that whole that whole okay. uh, now, trailer. For me, having never is, seen a Godzilla movie, which we're we're to. talking I'm about a giant Joan lizard, of right? Arc, the passion of Joan of Arc off hey, my list. Can <laughs> I actually briefly talk about why Tom Cruise has won back my affection? Sure, why not? Uh, now, mind you, he is in his personal life a bit of a train wreck, so I don't want to like. Yeah, oh, sure, sure. Oh, just a I don't want to try to say that, but but so is C.S. Lewis. So keep yes, rolling. well, yeah. everybody is right. We all are. Uh, the fact that that guy, the, it was his most recent film, that new Mission Impossible. Oh, it was he, wonderful. It was. And it's not just that. It's what he's doing on that set. He's 56 years old. That's the old my that's the age my grandmother was when she passed away. And I remember right. thinking that was old right. at the time. Right, right, right. He's 56 years old. And he is not jumping only- Jumping out of helicopters. Not only jumping- over like buildings and breaking his ankle in the midst of which he did. But the most Ow. fascinating ones to me were um, the big one for me was he flew that helicopter uh, sequence. I don't know if you've seen it, but he flew that helicopter sequence in a Canyon in a, and he did a maneuver that only the very top rated pilots are allowed to do. Huh. And he trained for over 15,000 hours to learn that maneuver. Wow. And it's, Deadly. Like, if he messed it up, he would die. And, and I didn't even notice it. I, I consider myself a film buff, but I'm a wannabe. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who I was watching with, and he goes, he's really doing that. That's really happening. He's actually in the helicopters. He can tell when they're cutting out of it right, and cutting right, right. in. And uh, he really did do that. And, and he's been doing this stuff now. Uh, for instance, the the famous uh, Burj Khalifa scene on in Mission Impossible mm-hmm. 4, he actually climbed on the Burj Khalifa, which mm-hmm. granted there what, are what, harnesses what? and ropes holding him to the Burj Khalifa, but that's insane. He was 2000 feet in the air. What's the British Khalifa? I don't, I don't remember this. The, it's the, the largest building in the world. Right. It's in, um, it's in 
Dubai? Dubai. Yeah, Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's I in do Dubai. remember this now. Okay. And he, yeah. in, in Mission Impossible 4, he's actually there. In Mission Impossible 5, he actually was strapped to the side of a plane as it took off. And in the scene, he's holding on to it. So he's doing these things as a 56-year-old man. He's running around like a 25-year-old yep. yep. out there. Yep, yep. And it's not necessary. We have the effects to just do it yeah. without right. him actually being on there. And uh, it does actually make the film so much better. But when you watch it, you just admire his commitment to his craft. I was so blown so away. So would you say that increases by... his range? Would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> are we, are... He's still Tom Cruise, always. Like He doesn't do anything. His actual acting is just... Straight up Tom Cruise. So, but yeah. put on you know, a pair he, of he's missing and... a tooth, right? So his his front tooth is centered. Oh, I never noticed. I want to ruin I want to ruin Tom Cruise for you. I don't really want to ruin Tom Cruise, but like his front tooth is centered. Because he lost a tooth or something and then that they they pushed them all together. So those a bit giant of a bell, but I can't. Tom Cruise teeth. Now, every time you look at him, you're going to see that centered tooth. <laughs> That's oh my true. goodness, you are so right. That I am so right. Creepy. I wow. I mean, he just. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Are we going to put a link to that? I think this is going to be the, the title picture. Right? <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So, so you know, this movie, the, the, the special of the, the action in this movie is probably the best action movie I've ever seen. It, it, was, it was spectacular. So good. The rest uh, of the movie, I didn't actually love as much, but those action sequences yes. were some of the best choreographed, best filmed mm-hmm. action sequences probably ever. It really film. took it was, my breath away. Yeah. It was I mean, so good. The plot was really dumb in some instances. <laughs> well, like, for instance, he has to, uh, somebody steals two nuclear bombs and decides to detonate them right next to each other. <laughs> That's very poor planning. Like they're like, we've got to do the final sequence, and he's got to he's got to defuse both bombs. We can't have them traveling big distances. Let's just put them together. Yeah, that totally makes that. sense. And like, that defeat the purpose, like the physics of a nuclear bomb entirely. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna do the same amount of damage. Oh, yeah, I'll put one twelve gonna... feet over here, so I get a. Yeah, it's it's not gonna, and it was not a very populated place anyway so one would have been fine they could have done the other one elsewhere <laughs> but, <laughs> oh. but yeah the action sequences were just remarkable so oh. so okay so one of the things i did in preparation for tonight was i went back and listened. you do a podcast as well i do and all the other things that that you do the many things that you do um and it, it, that's called what a, a, a history a, of christian theology i will say I don't know what frequency you guys release, but Amanda makes it sound like you guys are very are much better at recording uh, consistently than we are. We're we, not that good at it. Uh, we've gone long stretches. We went like a year once without doing any recording. Um, but we keep we're resilient. We keep coming back. <laughs> uh, one of one of the guys on our podcast essentially hadn't anticipated just how hard PhD school is, and then he got engaged. So during that whole little stretch, we. Didn't record a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But he just kept wanting to come back to it. So so we we try we do it now and we don't we try not to make promises about how your release schedule or yeah, yeah. 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 So so we do our best, but so, so so what you guys are doing currently is you're going through confessions. Yeah, but, Augustine's confessions. Okay, and I, okay, and that's I, that was my question. It's Augustine, not Augustine. So yeah, I've always said Augustine. I suspect I say Augustine for two basic reasons. One, uh, my uh, professor in, at Boise State said Augustine. Okay. So you kind of say what your teachers say. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, two, it does make more sense to me based on the phonetic spelling. Like uh, like I-N-E is going to either be Ein or Ein, and more commonly Ein in uh-huh. my understanding. Constantine. And, uh, yeah, Constantine. Augustine. Like I would, if you were just to come to me and say, uh, spell Augustine. Uh-huh. And I had no understand. Like I've never seen the word before. I probably would you write, drop the E at least. I definitely would. I probably do A U G Aug. Sorry, A U G U S T A N. Probably Augustine. That's probably uh-huh. how I'd spell mm-hmm. Augustine. Uh-huh. Now, having said that, I'm often tempted to say Augustine because it sounds very regal. And right. when Chad, who is Wait, hold that think hold that thought for a second. Amanda, yeah. is that why you say Augustine? Just so you can sound regal? I don't say Augustine. Oh, okay, just checking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said Augustine. I'm also I'm from Boise I and I say Augustine. Okay. All right. All right I all right. am I am a little bit more of a stickler for the Gowan versus Gawain. 
I say Gawain. I don't actually care. And, that, I and I say Gawain for the same reason that you say Augustine, because yep. my professor said Gawain. Oh, interesting. And then justified it with, you know, Middle yep. English, great vowel shift, um, yep. Midlands accent. It all made sense. I get, I, I'm going on her authority. I had the same professor. However, yes. I had Dr. O'Dall before I had her. Oh. And he had us read Sir Gawain in The Green Knight. And so since I had him first, that's why you, I went. Because she let him. What was her name again? Linda Marie Czar. Linda Marie Czar, yes. So I took a an Arthurian literature class from, from her. And she said, Gowan. Whoa, hold up. Time out. Yeah. You had a person named Linda Marie Czar? Yeah. That yes. has got to be the coolest name ever. Oh, yeah. and she's <laughs> absolutely the coolest person. She I'm was sorry, really Like, great. maybe the most interesting woman in the Treasure Valley. She's incredible. Oh, she okay. was really great. If okay. you ever want somebody to play an obscure medieval instrument that, like, two people in the world know how to play, Linda Marie She's your woman. Was she married are. to a music major or music professor? No, she's just a very committed okay, medievalist. Okay, yeah. And a true medievalist. Like, I mean, she knew everything. Okay. About- uh, my favorite was when she's like, um, yeah, go on this website to look at this manuscript. You know, it's in French, but but you can pick it out. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, Amanda, you also say Woodhouse. Yes, it is Woodhouse. Not Woodhouse. It, it is not. Wodehouse. It is Woodhouse. I just cannot. No, it's Woodhouse. It's not PG Woodhouse. PG Woodhouse. It's Woodhouse. It's Woodhouse. Are we sure? I'm that's very, how he very sure. It, but that's ridiculous. That's it's how he English, and his entire island pronounced hey, it. Oh, it's hey, ridiculous. Here's the thing: the English get to do whatever they want with their words because In because because <laughs> <laughs> the river it's the river thames not, not the thames. river thames <laughs> yes but um, it's not left okay Tenet. worcestershire it's, it's, they say yeah worcestershire so, yeah worcestershire worcestershire <laughs> it's spelled war Chester Shire. <laughs> worcestershire is worcestershire and i'm pretty sure i mean I probably need to talk to a linguist, but I'm pretty sure I know how that pronunciation came about. It came out with a bunch of people who were like, I am not going to say all of that word. I'm just going to wooster it. It's wooster. And actually, if you did talk to a linguist, that is what happens. That's Um, that's, that's that's literally the way that words get shortened. Yep. yep. People just start saying it faster and drop. drop Why Thames? Like, where know. did that come from? No, that sounds Thames? French. That sounds French. It does. But well, and but it's legitimate the, because, yeah. you know, half French, of English the Normans, is French. The, yeah. the Normans came in. The English. Yep. yep. And they still haven't forgiven him. Um, I totally <laughs> no. interrupted, though. So where were we at when I <laughs> I have no idea. I want to know. talking Augustine. Augustine, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, Augustine, yeah, yeah. Augustine, Augustine. Going back. So my question to you, Tom, is so part of your guys' discussion, there was, this was a a summation of something that Augustine said, which I think is consistent with kind of the purpose of, um, of this podcast. But you said that Augustine espouses an idea that the best kind of life is contemplation and the philosophical pursuit with French with friends. And this is from book six. So I realize I'm, I'm grabbing that out of the middle of, of nowhere, but apparently had some really close knit group of friends and they just were all hanging and talking about like, yeah, Definitely Augustine. Now, keep in mind, now, essentially, that whole idea comes from Aristotle. Aristotle mm-hmm. says that the highest life you could live, mm-hmm. if you re- really want to be happy, like his Nicomachean ethics is exploring what Does, makes Hold on, somebody, hold on, hold on. His oh, yeah. what ethics? The, his Nicomachean ethics. What does that yeah. mean? So, well, it, it's actually named for Nicomachus, which I think, is that his son? Yes. I think that's his son, yeah. So, it's his wait, wait. teaching. Nicomachus. Nicon- Nicomachus. Nicomachus is Augustine's son. No, Aristotle's son. So this actually was long before Augustine. Aristotle wrote the Nicomachean Ethics. It's a treatise on ethics, really. But he has a telos for everything he writes, a purpose, an end. And the telos for ethics, meaning why do we live the ethical life, is to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So eudaimonia is the Greek word he uses, to be happy. It's this this thing, he basically discovers it early in the book because he says, what's the thing that we do for itself and for no other reason. Like, And what he discovers is everything we do ultimately is just to be happy. And we don't strive to be happy for any other reason. And then he just explores what behavior makes you happy and why. But what he, his conclusion essentially is, is that the best kind of life you can live is a life of philosophical contemplation. Um, but most people can't do that because we have to live. 
Like we have to eat. Mm-hmm. So we have to work. And mm-hmm. if you work, you just don't have time to, to do philosophical contemplation. And he does this after a pretty extended treatise on friendship and how kind of one of the best things that in life we have is friendship. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of philosophers kind of emulating that. And Augustine was definitely a philosopher. Mm-hmm. He, he was pursuing oh, yeah. the philosophical life and that little period of time, really his whole life was like this, but that stretch of time where he converts to Christianity is a period of time when he's living in Italy with essentially a bunch of other philosophers. And he's kind of, he's, he's been kind of an espouser of the Manichaean faith, which is a dualist kind mm-hmm. of philosophy yep. mm-hmm. uh, mixed between Platonism and Christianity, so to speak, uh, to a certain degree. But he comes to this point where he sees that it's bankrupt and he hears the preaching of Ambrose of Milan and he decides that this guy is the guy who he really wants to you know, emulate and follow. But it's not just him, it's his friends. And they're living essentially together and they're they're doing this whole life together, the whole mm-hmm. thing. And they're mm-hmm. they're they're conversing about it. And all of his joy is tied up in his relationships with these friends. And that's kind of even though he does have a concubine. Um, so he has a woman in his life and he has a son with the woman. Uh-huh. And um, his mom is living with him and, and keeping house for him. Yep. Yep. But his joy. Freeing is him up for contemplation. Freeing him up for contemplation <laughs> yes. and for hanging out and talking with friends. Because uh-huh. to him, that really was where, where he, he where I mean, he, that's where it's at. That's where his joy was. That's where his happiness was. And he believed that that's where he would find truth. Uh, him mm. and his friends talking through this stuff. And they, him and not all of them, but most of them kind of come to this conclusion mm-hmm. that Christianity is the way and they mm. convert. Interesting. So, so then like extrapolate that out to our time, our conversation, like, is there a place for that in Christian life uh, today? Do enough of us do that? Is it, is that, was that a misappropriation of emphasis? I mean, play that out a little bit in your own life and and for us a little bit. And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely think that it is vital and well, I mean, I mean, I, I, we're, we're not doing it, right? It's vital and we're not doing it. And I, you know, I mean, really, that's the purpose. A lot of, <laughs> when we started this podcast, I don't know that we necessarily had a, a clear picture of where we were going, but this is kind of what it's become yeah. for us. I think the three of us who do this semi-regularly, we just kind of kick kick tires and yeah. go, what are you thinking about we enjoy, this weird social issue? Or, yeah. We enjoy our friendship so much. And we've got this idea wouldn't it be neat to be able to let other people watch and hang out as we are having fun well, together and, as friends? And also, I think one of the significant aspects of it has just been being a little bit more purposeful about... Yeah. Because we've yeah. all hung out together. Our families hang out together. We all spend time together a lot. You guys grew up together. Um, but uh, the three of us have been friends for like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years. Um, and so there's there have been a lot of occasions for conversation, but by saying, okay, we're going to record, that's forced us to get together a little bit more often and to yep. plan a little bit more deliberately what to talk about. Maybe you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> I try not to think about anything before it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm over here, man. We don't, we don't plan anything. <laughs> that is literally the reason why we did our podcast. Okay, why? Literally. Okay. So Chad... Kim, who hosts the podcast, he worked at our school and mm-hmm. he was getting ready to move to St. Louis to work on his PhD in theology at St. Louis University. And uh, my friend Trevor had been interning for with me at the school and Trevor studied philosophy at Boise State. And Trevor was getting ready to go at the time to Oklahoma State to work on his philosophy, his master's in philosophy. And we had just we had just gotten to this habit of just talking all the time at school. We would go out to for drinks or whatever. We mm-hmm. do all sorts of stuff, but not alcohol. Uh, not well, beer. Not I'll beer. drink alcohol, not beer. Not beer. You'll, yeah. you'll okay. drink alcohol if it's like in a mudslide or. Well, I will also drink or, hard alcohol. I don't like the taste of hard alcohol, but it. If you put enough sugar syrup it, on it, it doesn't taste bad. It just tastes like fire or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> things, like oh, that's. <laughs> oh, <girl. laughs> all right, continue. <laughs> um, so. Uh, and, and Trevor and Chad love beer. So that was, that was a frequent (laughs) thing for them. But, you know, Chad was like, you know, I'm moving and I really want to keep these conversations going. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to be studying is the early church. 
And he said, so why don't we kind of allow this all to mix? We're st- I'm studying the early church. We can discuss the early church. We can keep our conversations going, which I right. love. Right. And we can talk about whatever. We'll just use this as kind of a, a jumping off point. And we were kind of inspired by, if I can plug a podcast that doesn't care if I plug it. No, go plug it. Is, yeah. um, the History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps by Peter Adamson, which uh, is one of my favorite podcasts. I've listened to it a couple times. Yeah. It's really good. Really good. It's and w- I, I I will admit, like, I am hanging on by my fingertips. Holy! Okay. And the thing about Peter Adamson is he's on episode 370, and he's still early Middle Ages. So it's called <laughs> The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps. He's doing it all. Yeah. So Chad actually wanted to call our podcast The History of <laughs> Theology Without Any Gaps. Uh Two things with that. Number one, we didn't want to steal the title. Right. Number two, um, you'd still be in the first century. Well, and but, and also it just gets really tiring doing like we want to talk. The early theologians, and I imagine this is true just at every epoch in all of church history, they all talk about the same thing. Right. So we're, we just we want to move on to talk about something Trinity else. Trinity again? Yes. Come on. Exactly. No. Exactly. You just have nothing but Trinity writings on the Trinity for three hundred years. Yeah. So one, we start skipping things, mm-hmm. and two, I'm pretty sure we're going to start skipping a lot more things. We're still we're on episode seventy, and we're only at Augustine, right? And that Augustine. so we're still we're still moving. Yeah, at Augustine, we're still moving pretty slowly. Uh, I suspect I know I'm going to ask us to at least pepper in some other theologians mm-hmm. because Chad's going to want to camp in Augustine for a while, being an Augustinian scholar and all. Right. Uh, but, PhD will do that to you. Yeah, PhD will do that right. to us. It's nice though because he can quote. Augustine chapter and verse now yeah. in Latin about, and he often does because right if Chad's listening he's a bit pretentious <laughs> <laughs> we love okay. by the way that's an internal joke that we had that he and I although it is true too so total, total, <laughs> I am too though so total uh aside here yeah this is this is called helping your your uh fourth grader with homework James Garfield president James Garfield mm-hmm. taught himself Latin and Greek and just to show off at parties he could write left-handed and right-handed and he would write in either what? language with both hands. No. He would write with Latin in his left and Greek oh, or whatever it was. So impressive. At the same time, simultaneously. I have a wow. totally depressing anecdote to play off of that. And I don't know if I can bring us that far down. Oh, come on. You got to do it. <laughs> okay. So um, I don't know what you guys are reading lately, because, but I thought that the gray, dank February skies could really go with some cheerful, you know, positive reading so i picked up a, a history book on um slavery in america called oh. the half has never been told oh, boy. Oh. unbelievably I'm good book sad. unbelievably tragic and depressing yeah. and so the author builds his story on um so some historians said that the history of america is a play that has been enacted on um on the african-american body and oh, so yeah. he Right. So he structures his history on different parts of the body. And he has a pair of chapters called the left hand or the right hand and the left hand and talks about right handed power or this is my right hand and the um, dehumanization of slaves into hands um, in sales circulars and that kind of thing. Like they're a hand. So they're an extension of the owner's body. Mm-hmm. And then he has a chapter on what's called. There's a lot of church leaders who treat their, their flock like that as well, but continue. Uh, and that'd be a good aside there. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then he has a chapter on what's called left-handed power. So it's, it's the left hand and the idea that left-handed power, and you hear a lot of these stories in slave societies where they, they break the tools or they deliberately slow the pace right. of work. Right. So they're, they're trying to create margin in their lives as the slave driver is pushing them. And he talks about how um, slavers in as as cotton plantations expanded and they needed to get more and more productivity. Um, there's this little studied aspect of um, cotton productivity that, that nobody had really written on. So he explores how they were able to increase production um, and, and the, at different bottlenecks. And we all know about the cotton gin, mm-hmm. um, reducing a bottleneck, but the picking of cotton was a very significant, uh, labor bottleneck. Labor intensive thing. Yeah. Right. So, um, there, something very strange happened, um, over the course of about, uh, 20 years, the amount that a single slave could pick in a day went from an average of 60 pounds to over 300 
And so he looks at how slave drivers pushed people, the ways that they pushed people to, to produce more. And one of the things that happened is through torture methods, right? You're beating people if they don't meet the quotas and then you're continually raising the quotas. Um, you can um, like bifurcate your your mental processes and and have your oh, two hands stronger. working oh, independently wow. and so it's a very difficult thing to do to your brain so garfield as has a party trick where he's taught himself to kind of separate the brain but you have to you have to reduce actually higher order thinking in order to sustain that over time so to get your two hands to pick down a row of cotton independently right so independently was actually mentally destructive, incredibly and incredibly difficult. Uh-huh. But um, they uh, this technique then spreads among the slave population because it's a way of of keeping yourself from the lashes because oh they, they'd set a, a minimum and then however many pounds you were below the minimum you'd get that many lashes with a whip every oh, that's night, awful. right? Uh, right, so I I told you February. Wow. I was okay. like, Thanks, so Amanda, so um, Amanda, and, and, and so she piggybacks off of a really cute. cute I know, I know. So, I'm, so sorry. Amanda, I, I, I th- I'm sorry. I think I think it's sorry. time. We'll never talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, I think it's time for you to get back to some children's books now. <laughs> uh, well, I actually I brought um, the first series, um, the Lloyd Alexander series, back. But well, we got it. We can't go there. We got to finish. Okay. Tom's okay. Finish. Sorry. Yep. I no, just no, no, love no. these rabbit trails. Like we are so far deep in these rabbit trails. <laughs> I, I don't even know it. where we were. Yeah, I don't remember where we were. Uh, are we? You? We were talking about friendship yeah. and the need yeah. for conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. There was actually somewhere I was going to go with that, yeah. and that is, is I mean, we all know that depression rates, suicide rates sure. are yep. skyrocketing, right. right? In America, I I suspect the western world maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't right. read numbers in western Europe. No, I think it's it's consistent across the board for but western countries. But certainly in America, and I don't ever want to try to oversimplify these things, but it there seems to be data that points to stuff with social networking mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Right, right. And no doubt there's so much of our lives are involved with social networking uh, that could contribute to it. Um, part of it, I think, is probably just the addictive behavior associated with looking at phones and looking right. at screens. And actually, what does and seem the to solidarity be... that happens with that, because you're, yeah. you're not I mean, even if you're showing somebody, you're really not. Yep. It's not yep. that's yep. not yep. community. That's yep. not building authentic relational. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so much of societally where our relationships are going, obviously, are going there. And I'm not like one of those guys who wants to just poo poo any kind of technology, technology or, right, right. or social. I mean, it has its place and it, it can be useful. But you do just, in fact, see everybody at all stages of development, not wanting to be in a community of any kind to not want to interact with people. Yes. I, I think about a time I was at a wedding and the wedding had just started basically. And a, and a friend of mine said, okay, well I'm going to go home. And I was like, why are you going home? And she said, well, my ride's leaving. And I'm like, oh, I live next door to you. I can take you home. She's like, I, I got to go home. Now what it came to is she wanted to go home so she could go watch TV. Right. She wanted to leave a wedding right. where people, and I, and I'm not criticizing her. I do that all the time. Sure. All the time. I'm I, I'm with a group of people and I'm like even enjoying myself. And I'm like, I want to go home and I want to be on my phone or I want to watch movies or TV or video games or whatever it is. That's where we would rather right. spend our time. And so we're we're absolutely I mean, we you know, time doesn't is not you it's not universal, it's not ubiquitous, it's not infinite. We have to get it from somewhere, and we're choosing right. to get it from relationships we're saying well we're just going to choose not to have real relationships we're going to sacrifice those for these other things because these other things we think bring us a certain amount of pleasure Mm -hmm. and they do but at the end i i think at the long run it's really destructive i think aristotle's onto something when he i'm not saying he's right that the philosophical contemplative life is definitely the highest degree of happiness right but there's no question i think that he's onto something uh, when he talks about friendship and the and and its value to the human life and its and just what it does in terms of contributing to happiness and also the peacefulness that comes with being somewhat contemplative, mm-hmm. not feeling like right. you're in a hurry, mm-hmm. like you have to be somewhere to go do something, but feeling like you can just kick back and and just think about things. So, so I think that this is one of the things that we're going to have to see. The church is going to have to shift a little bit to to meet this need 
because for a for a season, I would say during the years that I was growing up, the church per- saw itself as needing to fill a need of uh, producing. We need to produce. Uh, we need to produce education. We need to produce entertainment. We need to produce. Um, you know, these, these cultural products, these cultural products for our communities to, you know, to be able to exercise what it means to be a Christian. And I almost wonder if the church is going to have, it's not that it's not that the core principles of the church shift, but that the cultural needs that we're, we're at right now, we need a place to rest Mm -hmm. and experience authentic relationship. And I wonder if the church needs to say, we need, we need a place for people to Sabbath Mm -hmm. and, and, divorce themselves from the the social network divorce themselves from the the monotony of always being tied into whatever's going up on instagram etc yeah and and I, I this has been something i've been wrestling with and i think that you see what you talked about the lack of commitment where people are leaving like significant relational events in in exchange for you know, fairly shallow relational, I mean, non-relational mm-hmm. uh, experience is is part of the reason that, that we're seeing churches like get smaller. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's not even the church's fault. Yeah. But it, it, you do have to recognize, like we can't then say, well, let's, I know what we'll do. We'll do all of our videos as simulcasts so people can, that's not going to, that's yeah. not going to fix it. We need more relationship, not more video cast. Yeah. So listeners, turn off this podcast and go hang out with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Over and (laughs) out. Yeah, you know, I I mean, the the 90s, the 80s, the age of the megachurch. Right. Right. I mean, that's going away uh, because, I mean, megachurches aren't disappearing per se, but people's dissatisfaction with them are clearly. And we don't have the same drive to build them. Yes, absolutely. Right. And that's because what we know is is that you can sit in a mega church and be totally mm-hmm. anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. You can be yep. you can you can go there and have no relationship with anyone. Which right. is not Easily. healthy. Not healthy. No. Well, no. but I mean it's it's so attractive. It's to to have that, to mm-hmm. have the the ability to do that. That's it is. that's why we we go home from the wedding because, you know, it may not provide a high degree of pleasure to to kick back with a movie or to watch a TV show or to go play a video game by ourselves. It, it'll pr- provide a low level of it, but it's it's risk-free and totally right? passive. Right. I don't it doesn't cost me I don't anything. have to invest anything, right? Yep. A- and I don't have to take the risk that something uncomfortable might happen or that I might be challenged Which, in any if way you're at my or church, something uncomfortable is going to happen mm-hmm. most likely if you right. spend an hour there. Oh yeah. Somebody awkward's going to come up and start talking to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah honestly it is. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean Well, that's I mean that's humans we're so awkward. And, and we don't want to interact with people. No. Especially people we don't know. Right. I yeah. mean, that's it's well, like, some it's, people, some people are more okay with that than others. Sure. I mean, there are people who are extroverts and that they just love being around people. And there's other people who it's really tough to go <laughs> be, be, yeah. be around people. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and so it just depends, yeah. I guess, part of it, it is personality. Although but, I do think of myself as an extrovert and I do find myself still naturally, and I'm sure I'm not like every extrovert, but I still find myself wanting to seclude and wanting to get alone wanting to, you know that kind of a thing and also i i find myself uh there's a there's a bit of a pull even to come to church just a bit late so that i miss the mix mixer the mixer at the beginning right. the mixer at the beginning like so i don't yeah. have to you know or or that i'm going to immediately lock eyes with the people i know to go say hi to the people that i know uh-huh. rather than going and you know i mean those are temptations sure yeah um it, it's it's just the easy thing uh so I, I think at least that temptation's there, even for a lot of extroverts, maybe not mm-hmm. all. But, it, you know, it, you just, you, you see it. I, a friend of my, my brother, not a friend, my brother was looking at Google Earth the other day and he was l- checking out a, sub, a suburban area of Meridian in July. And he found two kids playing in the entire suburb outside. Oh. And so it's it's happening across yeah. levels, right? Because kids Were the police called yeah. to, to roll <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid... No, those are, that's just my kids that get the cops <laughs> called on them. When I was a kid, I you could not get me inside the house. Sure. I, I was outside and, and yeah. every kid was outside. Same. I, you just looked everywhere and we were all yep. outside. We didn't want to go inside. And we had video games. We had TV. 
we wanted to do video games and TV, but we also yeah. wanted to be outside with our friends. And right now, so it's like everything, this is the worst part, is it's starting at that age, which means like they mm-hmm. need to form that ability to connect socially young because when they get older, it's right. harder. Everything is harder once you get older. See, this is why I live in a 1,400 square foot house with five kids. There's no option for people to stay inside. It's you have the, to go outside. Yeah, it's intentional. <laughs> Just to get away from each other. Yeah, we'll have oh, this wait. conversation at some point. The reason to live in a, in a small house with a large family, but um, yeah. But yeah. regardless. But my oh. nephews, my nephews, like they don't go outside ever. Ever my 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 four year old nephew five or five year old nephew he's he has not been outside on his own once in his life and he never goes outside of the apartment he only goes outside if like my brother takes him to the park right or if I go with him and that's not like something that is done often wow right and that's, if they own an apartment they will never he will never own a home in Boise at the current house, uh, house price at mar- market uh, price exactly. for house yeah. right. Um, okay, so before we we finish up, we which we're we're pretty much running up on time. I I have one one more question. You got any dirt on Amanda? Like, just, <laughs> just dirt be- on Amanda? Just between us girls? Like, <laughs> just between us girls and the entire? Uh... <laughs> there's only there's not that many listeners. We're yeah, getting... we we don't have a large audience. No, just professional dirt. No, not that I can think of. I mean, um, she's a fantastic teacher. Oh, you, get, yeah, you guys true. teach the same. You guys teach the same topic, right? No. Oh, okay. She we teaches, teach we teach the same um, type of class, but we teach yeah. two different historical periods. Yeah, and that's well, just, we both teach humanities, history, literature. Sorry, that's, that's what, what I meant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we both do history okay. and literature, but I do modern, and okay. she does medieval. Right. Got it. Right. Got it. Um. Yeah. Yeah, Tom can't tell stories on me. I bring treats to staff meetings. So. <laughs> I just don't he's have got a, bad he's got stories. A, oh, okay. <laughs> Not dirty. She has her good stories covered. <laughs> good stories are welcome too. So that's fine. Yeah, but. Yeah, well, she, uh, she definitely brings some nice treats for us. I can tell no, you. I that. That's <laughs> what I thought was going on. Uh, yeah, and, and actually does oh. it every time. Like I mean, every single time almost that we have a teacher meeting, she's bringing something for us. Really, really selfless. I, uh, um, I, you know, I could share that. My my best friend Tucker, uh, I remember can't remember when we were talking about. It. He's the pastor also at our church. Uh, we were we were chatting at some point, and he said, "You know Amanda Patchen?" And I said, "Yeah, I work with Amanda Patchen." He goes, "I grew up with Amanda Patchen," and I was like, ah, "That doesn't seem right," because I feel like Amanda would have told oh, me that she grew up with you. It's the uh, yeah, yeah yeah. And and I was like, you know, and and I mean, this I guess just the first story popped in my head. I guess cause probably because right. we were talking about it earlier. And uh, you know, I said. That doesn't seem right because I feel like she would have told me that she knew you if if that was the case. And he goes, "No, I grew up with her." I'm like, "I don't think you grew up with her." He goes, "I grew up with Amanda Patchen." <laughs> and then he goes, and then he said, "Sister to Jared Patchen. Jared was my good friend." And I was like, "I'm very confused right now because Amanda's married to Jared." <laughs> and, it, it, and the funny this thing is was, not is, the right uh, religious I, well, group here. <laughs> well, the funny thing was is because he was like explaining like their lives and their, you know, and I was like, I don't, that doesn't sound like this what Amanda is, described to me. This is like and, the pre-podcast conversation we were having about the Romans, how every woman was named Julia. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then of course, it didn't occur to me the entire time that of course Amanda's last name was not Patchen growing no, up. No, it was not. But what it does turn out is, is Tucker was actually friends with Amanda's husband, Jared, and did grow up with him. And, and his, his sister, sister Amanda. Amanda. Yes, yeah. who's no longer Amanda Patchen. Yes. So we're now we're now down to one Amanda Patchen. But yes. no, when I was growing up, I was Amanda Green. Yes, Amanda not Green. Amanda Patchen. Yeah. yeah. So that's I don't know. That's just the first one that popped in my head. I mean, <laughs> I mean so, as far as she's the wrong story, Amanda. <laughs> she's the wrong Amanda. That's <laughs> the wrong Amanda. Maybe just the right Amanda. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the well, '80s gave us a lot of Amandas. They so did. they did. Wow, this has been fun. Tom, yeah, I Tom, blast. this has been great. I think I love you. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you David. I feel the same. Uh, the feeling is mutual. Oh, my oh boy. And I love the name of your podcast, by the way. Don't change it. Oh, okay. I, I have no idea what it was, so that might be a little bit of a problem based on the name, but Donnybrook is such a great name. I just love that name for a podcast. Awesome. It sounds like It sounds like one of those Netflix... Uh, miniseries mm, that you would watch with right. some kind of a mysterious ending the Donnybrook murders or you know something <laughs> along those lines. there haven't been any murders on the podcast 
yet. yet. <laughs> if John gets too provocative one of these days. <laughs> say one more thing about the high church. All righty. Well, this has been great. Um, John, what kind of music do you have for us on the way out here? I, you know what? My... Uh, I, <laughs> Somehow, John Prine ended up on the radio. I, I still listen to radio sometimes. John Prine. How do you spell John Prine? Uh, just like it sounds. Yeah, P-R-Y-N-E. Augustine. You spelled like the Thames River is how you would spell that. So, <laughs> um, and just uh, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with one of uh, the songs from his latest album. All righty. Well, uh, I hope you enjoy uh, some John Prine on the way Thames. out. And August- Thames. Augustine. <laughs> some Augustine, Augustine. Gawain, Gowan. Oh, I would like to... Wodehouse. Throw in there. The British often say Augustine rather than Augustine. And they say Constantine instead of Constantine. Oh, and those are literally the same oh, exact grief. endings. I say Augustine and Constantine. Well, That's my final word. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Danai Brook podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Summer's ends around the bend just flying The swimming suits are on the line just drying I'll meet you there for our conversation I hope I didn't ruin your whole vacation Well, you never know how far from home you're feeling Until you've watched the shadows cross the ceiling Well, I don't know, but I can see it snowing In your car, the windows are wide open Just come on home Come on home